I want you to say this out loud with me like you believe it. Let's do it together. We believe that Jesus came to build a church that would overpower the forces of hell and enlarge the kingdom of God. And we envision being that church. You did that beautifully. I'm sure you did it at East Campus as well. You know, for the last 10 years or so, this statement, this vision statement, has expressed our theology of the church as well as our own understanding of what we know that God has called us as a local church family here at Brookstone to be about. It's rooted, this idea of saying, we believe that Jesus came to build this church that was going to make a difference in the world. Hell would get smaller and heaven would get larger. We want to be a part of that. That understanding is rooted in the words of Jesus, as many of you know, from Matthew chapter number 16, spoken at Caesarea Philippi, where he had taken his disciples to explain to them how he would launch his church. That passage says, Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, speaking to Peter, he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there are two things in that verse that you need to take note of. They're incredibly important. And the first one I would point out to you is the issue of ownership in the words of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse number 18 of that verse. He says, upon this rock, I will build whose church? I will build my church. He doesn't even say, I will build the church or a church. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church church. When we think about our understanding of the church, we must recognize that the church belongs to Jesus. He's the owner of the church. He's the Lord and the master of the church. He's the king of the church. And so he is the owner of us. What Paul writes in Corinthians, do you not know? You have been bought with a price. And you don't even belong to yourself. When Jesus used the word church, he used the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out ones. What he is saying to us is, I am going to build my church from people that I have called out of the world. You're no longer in the world. You're no longer of the world. You don't belong to the world anymore. You don't think like the world thinks, act like the world acts, do as the world does. You have been called out of the world. Now you're in the church and you belong to Jesus Christ. That's the point. And so he says, I am the owner of the church. That's our understanding. It's our, our theology of the church. We belong to Jesus. He says that we are owned by him. Second issue or thing that you should take note of in this passage, verse 18 of Matthew 16, is the offensive posture of the church. Now, I didn't say the offensive posture. Churches should not be offensive in our, in our ministry. Sometimes the gospel is offensive. Um, sometimes preaching the truth or living out the truth is offensive, but we shouldn't just be offensive. But I said the offensive posture. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to hold my church back. Listen carefully. The posture of the church is not defensive. The posture of the church is not neutral. 
The posture of the church is offensive. We are on the offense. We are going forth into the world, doing the work of the church. And Jesus said that the gates of hell would not be able to hold back his church. So when I understand that, and when you understand that, that Jesus is our king, he owns us, that Jesus has called us to be on the offense in this world, carrying forth his gospel message, making disciples so that the kingdom of hell diminishes and the kingdom of heaven is grown larger. When we understand that, then every one of us who are followers of Jesus ought to be asking the question, how can I be a part of that? How can I participate in the progress of the church? In fact, I would hope that all of you would make a personal application of this corporate vision. Whereas our church says, we believe that Jesus came to build a church that would overpower the forces of hell and enlarge the kingdom of God. And we envision being that church. I would hope that all of you would say, in 2023, I, I want to be a Christian who will overpower the forces of hell and enlarge the kingdom of God. I envision being that Christian. I want to participate in causing the church that I'm a part of to go forth into the world and enlarge the kingdom of God. And if that's your desire, then you must be asking a really important question, which is the question of, well, well, how do I do that? How can I be a part of the church's progress? How can I personally make a difference in this world? So to answer the question, on this first day of 2023, I want to commend unto you four things, four necessities, four things that you must do or that you, you need to do in order to be a part of helping the church to progress or to make a difference in the world. Now, here's the truth. Only two of the things that I'm going to cover today are in our text. The other two I'm just going to give you really quickly because I'm an expositor of the word, not just a preacher of sermons, so I'm not going to make it up as I go. I'm just going to give them to you quickly, but I'm not going to preach them. But these first two things are two things that we've talked about extensively recently in our Thrive series. And so I'm just going to give them to you because I think they're important to be reminded of. All right? So four things we must do in order to be a part of helping the church progress in 2023. If you're ready, shout amen. You good? Number one, grow in generosity. Now some of you can go, wait a minute, you just said we were so generous in 23. We were. But all of us must grow in this issue of generosity. I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about generosity of spirit. Generosity in all that we've been given by God that we ought to let those things flow through us. Listen, everything that God puts in you, he does to send it through you. Everything that God teaches you is so that you can teach somebody else that. Every victory God gives you is so that you can help somebody else have the victory. Every comfort God gives to you in the midst of grief, he does so that you might help others be comforted in their grief. Everything that God does in us, he does so that he can do more through us. And so grow in generosity. God never used a stingy person greatly. He didn't. 
because God wants us to be like he is. Paul, or rather Jesus in Matthew says, freely you have been given, freely you've received. Now freely give, grow in generosity. Number two, if you want to make a difference and help the church to progress, we must grow as a disciple. And we talked about this so much in our Thrive series. And so let me just remind you, a disciple is a learner, it's a pupil, it's a student, it's someone who is learning to walk in the steps of, walk like Jesus, be like our master. And so we, ha- we have to grow in that. And we recognize that discipleship happens in relationships. It doesn't happen sitting in church taking notes. It happens when I partner in relationship in community. And in that community, I learn to take the things that I'm learning from God's word and I apply those in my life and now I'm maturing as a disciple. And so in 2023, I want us all to be relational learners. I want us to get in relationship with one another and connect in life groups and, and uh, learn together and grow as disciples. Okay, those are the first two. I said I wasn't gonna preach them, so there you've got them. Now we're gonna read the text and then get to the last two. All right, follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Now he's talking to a preacher. So he says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Here's a good word. Be faithful. When it's easy, when it's difficult. On the mountaintop in the valley. When people are receptive and when they're not. When you're winning and when you're losing, when there's fruit, when it's barren, just be faithful in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own ear or own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of or complete your ministry. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now, I might point out to you that when you read through this passage, you will notice that Paul makes it pretty clear that the kingdom of God is both a right now reality as well as a future reality promise. I want want you to to learn, if you don't already know this, to think about the kingdom of God as existing right now. It is a right now kingdom. We are in the kingdom of God, but it is also a future reality that is one day coming to the earth in a literal physical sense. Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom on the earth. We live in the world right now. Of course, you probably realized this this morning when your alarm went off after you had been up bringing in the new year. Did anybody in the room bring in the new year last night watching Georgia barely beat Ohio State? And so this morning, when your alarm went off, you realized, I'm in the world. 
I've got to get started. But we live in the world, but we are citizens of heaven. Do you see the difference? This is where I dwell, but it's not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. And so I live within the kingdom of God. Jesus is my king. That means that the kingdom of God extends to my life. And this is what we mean when we say to enlarge the kingdom of God is to bring more and more people to faith in Jesus where their lives are under the lordship of Christ, where Christ is their king and the kingdom is extended in that way throughout the world. That's a right now reality, but it's also a coming kingdom on the earth. Notice what he says in verse number one. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead. When? At his appearing in his kingdom. When he appears, when he comes again, he will establish his kingdom. He says the same thing in verse number 8. Henceforth uh, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. What day? Uh, That day when he shall appear, not to me only, but to them also that love his appearing. So here's the truth. It is the blessed truth, the blessed hope, That one day Jesus is coming. Shout amen if you believe it. He's coming. And he will establish his kingdom on the earth. But until then, until then, we live in the kingdom and we are to extend his kingdom. So what is it then that we must do? What does Paul tell us that we must do to extend or to grow the kingdom of God? And what must we do individually to participate in the progress of that kingdom. I'll give you two things out of the passage, all right? So here's the first one, write it down. Number one, if we are to participate in the the progress of the kingdom, we must pray. We must pray. Notice what he says in verse number five, chapter four and verse number five. But watch thou in all things. Now the word watch is not the word pray, The word watch is to be alert. It's to be on guard. But it carries the thought of this perception powered by prayer. In fact, Paul says this very thing in Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to verse number 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watching unto prayer. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus connected watching and praying. Three different times, Jesus said, watch and pray. So when Paul challenges Timothy to be alert, he is calling him to this alertness, motivated, equipped by prayer. If we are to make a difference in the kingdom... If we're to participate in the progress of the church in 2023, we must pray. So how should we pray? What does that look like? Well, first of all, let me suggest to you that you would learn the discipline, the joy of praying continually, always praying. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians, that we are to pray without ceasing. It means that we have an ongoing conversation with God. If I were to ask you about your prayer life, I hope you would say, well, I have some times that I pray, but here's the truth. I'm always praying. I never am not praying. There's, there's, a, there's a spirit of prayer 
about me. The Spirit of God dwells within me. He helps me to pray, the Bible says in Romans. He even prays for me. When I don't know what to, to pray, he prays with utterings which cannot be uttered. And so there ought to be this sense of we're always praying. You know, I get up in the morning, Lord, I'm thanking you for this day and God for good rest and now bless my day. And then I'm driving to work and I'm praying, Lord, help that crazy driver to stay out of my path. And God help the crazy driver behind the wheel in my car. And then I, I get to work. I'm, Lord, help me to be a blessing and, a, and, a, and an encouragement today and to be a light for you today. And then I'm, Lord, I, I heard about this person who's hurting. God bless them. And there's just this, I'm in a conversation. Lord, help me to give good advice here and respond rightly. We ought to always be praying. Pray continually. Number two, pray earnestly, earnestly. In James chapter five, I believe verse 17, James says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Now, by the way, notice that the greatest, most effective prayers come from people who are surrendered to Christ and living righteously, right? So, God loves me unconditionally. He hears my prayers when I call out to him in faith. But if I'm living in a way that pleases him, then he's pleased to answer those prayers. We ought to pray fervently with a desire to please the Lord. Pray continually, pray, pray earnestly. And then thirdly, pray specifically. When you pray, don't pray in a way so vague, so general that God could answer your prayer and you wouldn't even know it. Because you, you, you couldn't even say, well, I prayed specifically for this thing. You should pray very specifically. Again, in the book of James, chapter 4, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so ask specifically so that you will know when God answers your prayers. Some of you may have seen this. I put it on um, social media. When the, when the front came through back on Thursday in the cold weather, you remember when the temperatures dropped uh, in an hour by 30 degrees or something and it got down to like 10 degrees on Thursday morning and the winds were howling. I've never heard wind like that in these mountains. I was fast asleep. I heard the wind after Tracy woke me up, but I was sleeping through it. At five in the morning, we live in Mars Hill in the woods. Our home is surrounded by trees and at five in the morning, Tracy had been awakened by the wind or by the Lord, I don't know which, but she was laying awake praying. And she was praying, Lord, please don't let any trees fall on our house. Just protect us and protect our home. And, and she was praying very specifically, God, don't let any trees hit our house. When at five in the morning, she heard the crash of a 90-foot tall tree that fell two feet in front of our house and one foot shy of our front porch. It looked when you looked at it as, as if a professional lumberjack or tree cutter dropped it exactly where he wanted it to fall. And so rather than doing damage to the, to the house, God answered her prayer. And we were able to say that was a very specific answer to prayer. And after she woke me up, I praised the Lord with her that God had answered her prayer. And that she was engaged in the ministry of intercession in that moment. But you should pray that way. Pray specifically. And so if we want to help the kingdom to progress, we should we should pray continually, earnestly, and specifically. Now you may be saying, well, now, Pastor, I mean, why is this so important, right? I mean, we, we, we can do a lot. We, we're gifted people. We're 21st century people. We're educated people. We, we can do a lot. Why is it so important that we pray? It's a great question. Let me tell you why. Here's the first reason. We should pray because we are engaged in a spiritual endeavor. The work of the church, you know this. 
The work of the church is a spiritual work. And it requires spiritual power and a spiritual approach. Here's another way to say it. The abilities of man cannot achieve the initiatives of God. And so we must pray. Notice what verse number four says. He says in chapter four, verse number four, and they, speaking of people in the church sometimes, certainly people in the culture, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Listen carefully. This is what the church does. The church brings truth to bear in a world that believes fables, in a, in a culture that believes lies and deceptions. Here comes the church of Jesus Christ proclaiming the truth of the word of God. And only the spirit of God can convince a fable believer to trust in the word and the truths of the word of God. That's the work of the spirit. I can't do it. You can't do it. Only the spirit can do it. He says that we move in the world of tr or in the realm of truth versus fables. Then he goes on in verse seven to say that this involves faith, that it takes faith to believe the gospel. I want to tell you something. I do not have the oratory ability. I do not have the personal charisma. I cannot, in my own arguments, convince you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's impossible for me to do it. Your neighbor can't do it. Your life group leader can't do it. Your wife can't do it. Your husband can't do it. Your mother can't do it. There is one person in eternity that can give you faith to believe the gospel and it is the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. That's why we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in people's lives and move them from not believing the truth and from believing fables to believing what is true. And then if you keep reading verse number eight, he talks about righteousness. When we move from fables to truth by faith from the Holy Spirit and we embrace the truth, then the truth produces in us righteousness that we couldn't produce on our own. Now, loved ones, here's the thing. This is a spiritual work. We can't take an unrighteous person and make them righteous, a person who doesn't believe the truth and make them believe the truth. Only the Holy Spirit can do that and therefore we must Secondly, we must pray, not only because the work of the church is a spiritual work, but secondly, because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual battle that's raging. And you see this battle in Paul's admonition to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number four. Now, I just want to say to you, as long as the church exists in the world, and as long as there's gospel work to be done, the church will forever face opposition. We will forever contend against discouragement and division. The church will always be fighting the negative influences of our flesh because there is an enemy of our soul. And if we're going to win this battle, we must pray. Because we cannot defeat him in the energy and the power of our flesh. Paul warns Timothy, verse number three. He says, you preach the word. You be faithful no matter how well it's going or, or how poorly it's going. You be faithful to give them the truth. Why? Verse three, because the time is going to come when they won't 
want to hear the truth. Certainly this is true in the culture that we live in. Sometimes it's true in our own lives. We hear what's true and we resist it and push away from it. He says, in fact, the time will come when they will heap to themselves. They will gather teachers that have itching ears. He says, Timothy, do you know that sometimes you're going to be pushed out because you're preaching the truth? They're not going to want to hear from you. They're only going to want to hear from people that are going to tell them what they want to hear. That will tickle their itching ears. He says, they'll turn away from the truth. Verse number four, they'll turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. That's spiritual warfare. Look at what he says in verse number 10. He says, as long as we live in this world, some people are going to turn away from the truth. It's going to happen. You can almost hear the quiver in Paul's voice in verse 10 when he says, for Demas has forsaken. Demas. Timothy must have thought, not Demas. Surely not Demas. Demas was a a faithful guy. He loved the Lord. He was a ministry partner of the apostle Paul. He was a powerful Christian. And he quit? He loved the world? He went back to the world? You know why that happens sometimes? It's because we will forever live in the realm of spiritual warfare and contending against the fallenness of our flesh. He says, in this world that we're living in, we will often contend against divisions. Notice what he says in verse number 11. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring Mark with you, for he is profitable to me in the ministry. Well, that's wonderful. He says, I want you to bring Mark. He's useful to me. But if you know the history of Mark... Do you know Acts chapter 13 where Mark is on the first missionary journey that Paul goes on and he he quits? He he runs back to Jerusalem. He says, I don't want to do this. I'm not up for this anymore. And Paul is like, well, I'll never take him again. In fact, Paul and Barnabas had an argument and divided over Mark. You praise God, Paul's coming around here. But there was division. By the way, the good news about Mark, if y'all are listening, shout amen. The good news about Mark is when you go to the Gospels and you read Matthew, Mark, he's the author of the Gospel of Mark. Can God use you once you fail? Say amen if he can. Praise the Lord, he can. But there's always going to be this possibility of division. Verse number 14, he says there's always going to be opponents. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. I mean, what a laundry list of disappointments and discouragements and letdowns and oppositions and all of this from the enemy of our soul. So here's the thing. We're engaged in a spiritual work in 2023. We have a spiritual enemy in 2023. Only our spiritual helper, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, can accomplish the work that we've been called to. It is beyond human faculties to accomplish it, and therefore we must pray. Pray continually, pray earnestly, and pray specifically. And pray tonight at 6 p.m. in this room. We ought to begin here. Second thing that we must do, if we are going to be the church that's going to overpower the forces of hell and enlarge the kingdom of God, if we're going to be the Christian that's going to help my church progress in this mission, not only must we pray, but secondly, Paul says, we must do the work of evangelism. We must do the work of evangelism, verse 5. He tells Timothy in no uncertain terms, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work 
of an evangelist. I want you to listen to me on both campuses. I want you to hear me. If you're listening online, I want you to listen. Evangelism is work. Church is easy. But evangelism is work. And when Paul said, do the work of evangelism, he was saying, take up the toil. That's what the word means. Endeavor. Break a sweat over it. Carry the burden of it. Do the work of evangelism. Be one who carries out the work of evangelism. I want you to hear me clearly. This work of all that we do as a church, this work is the greatest work. This is the primary task of the church in the world is to do the work of evangelism, to compel men and women and boys and girls to turn from their sin and by faith embrace the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross through his death and resurrection as the payment for their own salvation and to choose to follow Christ with all their lives. This is the primary work of the church and nothing matters as much as that matters. This is what we will do in 2023. And, and if, as we have always done, by the way, but even with more passion this coming year, and if you are to be a part of helping the church progress, then you must commit to do the work of evangelism. You must. So how do we do that? Let me suggest to you several ways in closing in which we, in 2023, will do the work of evangelism. Number one, we'll do it through evangelistic preaching. And here's what I mean by that. I make you a promise today. I will, I will promise you that by God's grace, every time I stand in this pulpit, I will seek to bring the gospel, to make certain that no matter the text and no matter the topic and no matter the theme, that we will make clear the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Because every time we gather, there are some people who have never met Jesus. There are some watching online who have never come to Christ. And so I'm committed by God's grace to always make sure, certain that we talk about and we invite people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. If I'm preaching on tithing, I'm going to give the gospel so that people can trust in Jesus. One of my favorite testimonies from years and years ago at Brookstone Church Maybe 25 years ago was a guy who came and got saved in our church and served the Lord for years. And he always said he was preaching on tithing and I got saved the day he was preaching on tithing. See, it works. We'll share the gospel through evangelistic preaching. Secondly, we'll share the gospel through evangelistic invitations. Here's what I mean by that. It means as you and I invite our loved ones to come and see what God is doing, that we will be evangelistic personally saying, I want you to come to my church. I want you to see all that the Lord is doing in so many lives. We've done this over 2022. As you know, our, our initiative in 2022 of come and see was greatly productive. God did so much through those of you who invited friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates to come and see what God was doing. We saw dozens and dozens of people come to faith in Jesus, and we saw hundreds of people connect at Brookstone in this last year as a result of your evangelistic invitations. And yet, this past year, we only operated come and see through our life groups and our serve teams. And if you weren't connected to a group or you weren't on a serve team, you never really heard about it. This year, we're going to change that and we're going we're to include the whole church. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll lay out to you how we're going to do that. Number three, we will 
we will uh, do the work of evangelism through evangelism training. Again, this year, we will train you, if you're willing to learn, we will train you how to share your faith, share the gospel, help someone across the bridge of faith. We will teach you how to do it. Three semesters, we'll offer you a six-week course, an eight-week course, maybe a nine- or ten-week course, but we will offer it on Sunday mornings. We'll offer it on Wednesday nights. We will make it available to you to learn how to share the gospel. And I don't want you to stand before Jesus one day and say, well, Lord, I didn't bring anybody with me because I didn't know how. Because he's going to say to you, can we talk about your church? They offered you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after year after year after year that you would learn to share the gospel. And you never made the time to learn. Don't stand there one day and have him say that. And so I'm going to tell you, we're going to do evangelism training and we're calling you to be a part of it. Learn how to share the gospel. We will do the work of evangelism through evangelistic missions as well. That simply means that in our mission partnerships, we're going to emphasize uh, evangelism. There are a lot of missions and mission organizations that do a lot of great work and, and they involve a lot of different kinds of endeavors and they're, they're fine, they're wonderful, they're good. I just need you to know, here's, here's what I want to tell you. When you give a dollar at Brookstone, and when you pray for our missionaries, part of what you're giving and part of your prayers are going to go to missionaries that are reaching people with the good news of Jesus, not just doing good works in the world. Because we're committed to evangelism, and that's where we're going to put the resources that God entrusts to us. And then lastly, we're going to partner with evangelistic ministries, not just through mission dollars, but we're going to help. We'll come alongside and help other ministries that are winning people to Jesus. And of course, the work of evangelism goes beyond sharing the gospel. It includes those next steps of discipleship and baptism and, and multiplication. And we will be committed to those, to those works of evangelism. Verse number 7, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. And by God's grace, Brookstone Church, in 2023, we will finish the course. We will keep the faith and we will finish the race. And when 2024 arrives, we'll do it again. And when 2025 arrives, we'll do it again. And if Jesus comes, we will do it to the end of the age. And if we die first, we will do it till we go to heaven. But we, by his grace, will pray we will do the work of evangelism, we will build disciples, and we will be that church that will overpower the forces of hell and enlarge the kingdom of God. And my question to you is, will you be a part of helping the church progress in the work that God has called us to do? I hope that on this first day of 2023, you will determine that's, by God's grace, what I will do. I am going to be a part of it this year. And I Look forward to, as your pastor, your shepherd, helping you to participate 